Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 10 years of law enforcement analysis experience. With 17 years of law enforcement experience, all from Reedley PD in California. She's held several leadership positions with the California Crime and Intelligence Analyst Association. She is certified as both a gang enforcement officer and a certified crime and intelligence analyst. Here to talk about, among other things, an interesting story of how she became a part of the Cold Case Foundation, a nonprofit organization. Please welcome Dana Boss. Dana, how are we doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much. You feeling better today? I... Uh, you had a very good reason to postpone our first recording in that you couldn't talk, which is kind of important for this show. Does someone, my guest, be able to talk? Yes. So if you can hear me well today, <laughs> then we are in good shape. A lot better than we were last week. Yes. Very good. All right. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Funny story. I had no idea what crime analysis was. And my chief came up with this brilliant idea that our agency needed an analyst. So I was just dropped into this position and had to kind of figure it out as I went. So it's fun. So as I mentioned in your intro, you, you have the last 10 years in law enforcement as an analyst, but then you have seven years prior to that in law enforcement. What did you do in the beginning when you first started working for the police department? Yeah, so in the beginning, I just kind of started out working at the front desk. I knew I wanted to be in law enforcement, and originally it was like, I want to do CSI, you know, because back then that was what was on TV, and it was really <laughs> cool and glamorous, right? So, you know, I wanted to be Grissom, but so that's that's kind of how I started. I started working at the front desk at the police department, and after about a year, full-time position in our records department opened up. So I moved over there, kind of got my feet wet a little bit in, in records, and worked records for a year, and then a patrol community service officer position opened up, so I snagged that one. Did that for about a year, and I did get to do some CSI in that one, so so that was fun. I actually still do it a little bit. I'm like the backup person, but did that, and then I went into the property and evidence room and did property and evidence for a year, a year and a half, maybe, and then I went to the police academy, okay. and yeah, and then I went back out on the street as a patrol CSO, and then crime analysis landed in my lap. And so here I am 10 years later as an analyst. Okay. So are you still sworn? I'm not sworn. I actually never, never went into the sworn side of things, but I've done pretty much everything else at our department except dispatch. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Then you talked about records and community service officers and being part of the property and evidence room. You certainly worked your way through many different departments there at the police department. And I'm curious to know, what did you learn at those stops that helped you be a good analyst? So as far as in, in records, I did a lot of our gang stuff. And during that time, we were actually in the process of getting a gang injunction against our Norteño gang here in town. And so being in records during that time and compiling all of that information is actually kind of an analytical function. I gathered all of that for, we have 
MAGIC in Fresno County, which is the multi-agency gang enforcement consortium. So all of the, the agencies in Fresno County are kind of a part of it. So MAGIC kind of headed that up. And so I helped them with that and getting all those cases together and validating the gang members and who we were going to serve with this injunction. So that was super helpful. I knew pretty much all of our gang members in town who our major players were, which is really helpful for our cases now even though those guys are, they're pretty old at this point, like old for a gang, for a gang member, right? They're kind of old now because they're all in their late twenties and early thirties, but we were dealing with them back when they were juveniles. So that was helpful in, in, in the records aspect of it. Cause I learned how to kind of research things and gather that information. And then as far as being out on patrol, that helped me in definitely knowing the different locations in the city, knowing where things were at, knowing different gang territories, that stuff that I think sometimes analysts can miss out on if they're not really familiar with their cities. And so I know like Annie Mitchell has talked about this, mm -hmm. go on ride alongs with your officers, get out there and kind of see what your city or your jurisdiction looks like mm -hmm. so that you can use that when you're doing your analysis. So those things were definitely helpful. And then I will say for going to the academy, even though I never became an officer, just being in the academy and learning um, like the elements for our crimes in California, because I know they're going to be different throughout all the states, mm -hmm. but knowing that, knowing the elements of the crime and being able to now have those conversations with detectives and like, hey, I think maybe we can charge this person with this because this is what I'm seeing when I'm reading the report. That has all been super helpful for me and being in those different positions in the department. Yeah, and that's been echoed throughout the show that get out from under the desk and also knowing how the actual crime is charged, knowing the, the, the state law, as you mentioned, is something that I've also heard folks recommend. And I can talk from experience. When I started as an analyst, I was not only new as an analyst, new to the department, I was new to the city. I, I just moved to Baltimore three months before. So it was definitely uh, a steep hill for me to climb to get acclimated to everything. Yeah. And I'll, I'll echo that as well. I'm not from this area. I actually grew up up in like San Jose, which is a completely different part of the state. And I moved here to go to school. So this city, I had no idea. Like I didn't live here. I lived in Fresno at the time. I didn't know anything about it. So definitely going on ride-alongs or even being on patrol as a CSO was helpful for me because like I said, you definitely get an idea of the territory when you do that. So I'm not familiar with uh, Readly in general. What does it compare and contrast to? Sure. Readly is a suburb of Fresno, which is in the Central Valley of California, and we're pretty rural. So we don't have any like major cities that border us. We're bordered by county area that's all patrolled by the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. And then we're pretty close to like maybe 45 minute drive from the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park. Very, It's a very agricultural city. We have a lot of like migrant workers that come through because we, we're called the fruit basket of the world. So we have... <laughs> You know, we've got peaches and oranges and, and stone fruit and all that stuff kind of comes from our area. So uh, even if you if you go shopping, like look at your fruit baskets that you buy at the grocery store, you may see Reedley, California on there. And that's so your fruit is coming from us. Oh, very cool. See, that's a nice fun fact. Yeah. So, so then in terms of the police department, then what are some of the major issues that 
they're trying to resolve. Gangs and catalytic converters, which I think is plaguing the entire nation at this point, right? Yeah, that's when the when the prices go up, that's what happens. Yeah. So I find that interesting. You described it as a agricultural city, a rural city, and yet your main issue is gangs. Yeah, we have a pretty big Hispanic population here, and I'm not saying anything against Hispanics. They're super hard workers, and, and they're great. But we do have, I would say Fresno County, this like general area anyways, has a pretty big gang population and a pretty big gang problem. And so they just kind of settle here. And so we've got two different main gangs, the Serenios and Norteños. And then we have some like fringe guys that come in every once in a while. That's the bull, bulldog gangs out of Fresno, or they have like county dogs that they'll call themselves. So those are kind of our big issues. Our violent crime is generally gang related. I don't get a lot of like who done it kind of violent <laughs> crime. I get basically like a Norteño gang member was shot by a Serenio gang member. That's kind of how it happens, and that's why I know a lot about our gangs. I'm not, I will not say that I know a lot about all gangs, but definitely have an expertise in the gangs in Reedley. Mm -hmm. And I got a little ahead of myself there. I, I want to back up a, a little bit and ask you, so once you become an analyst, you have been with the police department for seven years, and you come in being an analyst and did you find it to be the transition to be easy or was it harder than you thought? I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like I said, we've never had an analyst before. I'm still the only analyst here. Mm -hmm. So I actually kind of ended up reaching out to Callie Biaggi. She's at the Clovis Police Department, which is about 30 minutes away from us. And she's been on for a long time. So I kind of used Callie as a mentor and like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to set this up? What is it supposed to look like? And I think we know that it always looks different at every department. It kind of depends on the needs of the department or what they want from their analytical units. And so that's kind of how I started. And she pointed me in the direction of the CSU certificate program that we have in California. So I ended up going through the program there and at Sacramento State. And then I kind of just built things from there and with what our department was looking for at that time. And at that time, that was like 2012, 2013-ish. We had a lot of property crime then. So I actually got my feet wet more by doing forecasting and series analysis because that's what we had. We didn't have a lot of violent crime at that time. So that's what I did in the beginning. And I started out, I'll be honest, with like pin maps because we didn't have like the technology, right? Like I didn't have ArcGIS or Esri or anything like that. I, it still is like a roadblock for us here. But that's what I started with. I had maps that were up on my wall in my office and I was putting pins in there wow. where all these different things were happening. And that's but... 2012. That's not, we're not talking about like 1992. We're talking about 2012. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like everybody starts somewhere, right? Yeah, so that, yeah. like, that's just, that's where we started. And, and I forgot. <laughs> like pretty quickly sure. after yeah. that and and going the the CSU program and figured out how to do things a little bit differently and then it, it was growing pains for the department too right like our sergeants didn't know what crime analysis was they didn't know how they're supposed to use an analyst but luckily I had some really good supervisors that were just I mean they would question me but then they would be like okay well you're the one that knows so 
we're going to roll with it. And we had some really good successes just doing that with, with some of our uh, like residential burglary series that we had ended up with like in custodies and, and stopping those. So in progress, which was nice, which means yeah. that, you know, I forecasted it right. There. Yeah. So like those were pretty cool little early successes and having people jump on board and actually like kind of get behind it. But at the beginning, you know, they just want to go out and pound the pavement and do police work the old mm-hmm. school way. Yeah. So when you look back, you've been doing it for 10 years. Is there a particular issue that you resolved or maybe something you're the most proud of in how you've built this crime analysis function at the department? Yeah, I'm really proud of the way that it's evolved. And I, I don't want to say that I don't do it anymore, but I we don't have a lot of series. So I don't do a lot of the forecasting stuff anymore. And I've kind mm-hmm. of evolved it more into an intelligence. I don't want to say case support, but like that that's more of what I do now. We get these big violent crimes or part one crimes, basically. And that's what I focus on. Unless something else comes up, you know, like we have a huge rash of mm-hmm. catalytic converters or a huge rash of residential burglaries or something, I'm going to focus my attention on that. But generally, I'm assigned to the investigations unit. We have two detectives and a tobacco enforcement officer, which he does like narcotics and and that kind of stuff, and an SRO that are all assigned to our unit. And I kind of work with them the most unless something else comes up that's on patrol and everybody my my door is always open everybody can come in here and talk to me whenever but I'm just proud of that evolution of going from you know this humble little beginning of using pin maps to now having a more like I'm the go-to person now when somebody has a question hey I need to know who this guy is I need to find this person that's where my wheelhouse is now and and I have people that have left this department that still contact me for that kind of stuff because they're just at a roadblock wherever they're at and they need help tracking things down. So that evolution and building it myself without really anybody else and they kind of gave me free reign to do it has been really cool for me. All right. Well, let's get into your analyst badge story then. And this deals with a July 4th, 2021 homicide. Yeah. So since this is still an open case and it hasn't been adjudicated, I'm going to be pretty general about it. But anybody that was at the CCIA conference last year will maybe be a little bit familiar because I did present on it. And at that time we hadn't arrested anybody, but now actually like a week after the conference, we made an arrest. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so this happened on July 4th, which, you know, everybody, I don't know how it is in other places, but in Reedley, it's kind of a big deal. Everybody gets their fireworks and they go out and they light them off in the streets and, you know, it's a good time. Mm -hmm. We had pretty much like all of our department, like we're pretty small. So we have, I think 30 sworn total, like from the chief down, but pretty much everybody is working that night because we get illegal fireworks and that kind of stuff. So they get a call of shots fired around 10 o'clock. They responded and obviously they, they transported the victim to the hospital, but he ends up dying. And so they really had nothing. They they knew our victim was a gang member. He's pretty active. We still had cases that were ongoing with him. But so immediately they turned their focus to the, the rival gang, right? Like that's immediately where they go to. Mm-hmm. But everything we were getting on scene was kind of not not really fitting with that, not really fitting with anybody that we knew from a rival gang that either drove the type of car that we were looking for or just fit that description at all. As the night went on, they started getting more calls 
that the same vehicle had been kind of driving around town and brandishing a gun at just random people. Hmm. It's kind of changed, kind of changed the way that we started looking at it, right? Like, okay, maybe this isn't really gang related. Maybe this is just a really random thing. So a couple of days went by and we really hadn't identified anything. And, and we got a Facebook profile sent to us and it didn't have any, it didn't have a real name on it. It had a fake name. And I started digging, ended up finding the guy, ended up figuring out, hey, he's got a car registered to him. That's the kind of car that we're looking for. So we started digging into him, started digging into his background and who he was associated with and and kind of started going from there. And this is where we started pulling out all the stops. And I hadn't really done a whole lot with like I'd done our regular CDR kind of stuff before right like I get the CDRs back and I throw them into GeoTime or Cellhawk or whatever you've got and map it out and see if your guy shows up right like that's what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, this time wasn't working so we we got his CDRs back and they're not showing him there and we're like uh oh well you know he turned his phone off essentially so I had nothing so then we kind of figure out he he ended up fleeing he ended up going down to Mexico so then we really had nothing because he went across the border and I've got no CDRs for him that way. Mm-hmm. And so we, we tackled the girlfriend and she was still communicating with him. And they actually started using, and just a tip for you guys, when you, when you get cases that come up with, with apps like WhatsApp or voice over IP or whatever, don't discount them. Like write your warrants for those because you never know what information you're going to get back from them. And in this case, they were using an app like what it was pinger is the app that they were using so they were using pinger we'd never written a warrant to pinger before but i told the detective i was like hey let's just do it let's see what's on there whether it's text messages or like whatever let's just see what it is so i got it back and it actually gave us a location in mexico oh wow which was yeah it was super cool it gave us the location in mexico it gave us her text messages she had actually text with our detective a little bit so there, there were those text messages and we ended up we ended up writing a some rainy warrants for her and for him and they they got them coming back across the border so they they picked them up in san diego but the biggest thing that we got like the coolest thing for me was that we hadn't done before was we ended up finding his car and it was like like in the 11th hour this car (laughs) had been repossessed it had been sent to an auction location that had cleaned out the whole thing and like it was ready to go to auction and we went and snagged it and so so, (laughs) which they weren't too happy (laughs) you know what they were they were super cool they were very very understanding and like we'll do whatever they were very law enforcement friendly so they they were with us having the car back so we brought it down and we contacted the california highway patrol because we don't have this technology ourselves but california highway patrol has burla and so we called our, our guy over at CHP and said, hey, can you come down and do Burla for us? So he came and downloaded that system for us. And it was just beautiful. Like it, everything mapped perfectly. Uh, so uh, for those um, that don't know what a Burla is, will you explain what Burla is? Yeah. So Burla is a device or a software that downloads the infotainment system in a vehicle. Okay. Not all cars are supported, but luckily he actually had like an aftermarket Garmin thing on his car. So it, it downloaded the aftermarket Garmin deal. So if you have newer cars that are being used in your in your cases, I would definitely look at getting some Burla data because it'll show you a lot of different stuff. It'll show you how fast the car is going. It'll show you when they open the doors to the car, any Bluetooth connections, that kind of stuff that can be really valuable for your case. So yeah, so we ended up getting that and, and it 
it all pretty much worked out. But like I said, this was a case that we just kind of pulled everything out. We wrote a bunch of warrants and, and the time frame in which we were able to essentially close it out on our end. I mean, this happened July 4th. We had a warrant for him by the end of August and he was in custody by October. So okay. really quick turnaround for us, which was nice, but a lot of new experience for me that I'm now using in other cases that we have. Yeah. So how, how quickly were you able to get some of the data back from the new subpoenas companies that you sent out to? So Verizon took us quite a while. I think Verizon took like 30 days. I think Verizon was like the biggest one that we had. So Verizon took a while and maybe had AT&T. AT&T was quicker. And then like with the Burla one, so this doesn't happen in all cases, but with that one, we were able to get it the same day that the officer downloaded it. Mm. Not typical. And he's telling <laughs> we're looking at, yeah, we're looking at another case right now using it. And he said, he told us that it would maybe take like three weeks to get that back, which I still don't think is like a terrible time frame. Three weeks from the time that yeah. he downloads it and kind of like decodes it or whatever he needs to do on his end to giving me a format that I'm able to map. Three weeks isn't a, a bad turnaround time, but in this case, like a day, I mean, I'm, I don't even, it wasn't even 12 hours. It was still my same shift. Like he did it in the morning and I had it by the afternoon. So that was a really great turnaround time. But I would say like on these, these other ones, I mean, you're getting anywhere from 14 days to like months. I have a case that I'm working right now that's older, but they wrote a, a Google geofence warrant in 2019 and I don't have a return on it <laughs> three years later. So, I mean, yeah, there's some pretty extended time frames on some of these. Yeah. Yeah. I find it fascinating just how much data is out there and what can be subpoenaed. And in this particular case with this homicide is you were talking about apps that were on the phone that you weren't even going to subpoena. And yet that ended up giving you a location in Mexico. Yeah. Which was, I mean, and you're not getting that on your CDRs, right? So it's like, as soon as they cross the border, if they're not communicating with a tower in the U S anymore, there's no data. You may get the calls, like you can see that they're making calls, but you're not going to see like locations in Mexico or, you know, anywhere else, Canada, I guess. But yeah, so it was really nice for us to just have confirmation. We knew kind of where we thought he was at, but that definitely gave us a confirmation of, okay, we know that he's here and he's been here. He hasn't left here. That's where he is. So that, that was cool for us to be able to say that and know that, hey, we have a warrant. And if he comes across the border legally, we're going to get him. And we did. Nice. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about your involvement with the Cold Case Foundation and certainly want to talk about CCIAA. And then we will play Don't Be That Analyst. So get your calls in. You're listening to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Don Reby. I'm here with Jason Elder on Analyst Talk. And I want to share with you that there is a new book coming out for supervisors called Building a Crime Analysis Legacy. This is a law enforcement supervisor's roadmap to building long lasting high quality analytical capacity august 10th is the day that it comes out don't miss out tools strategies everything you need to build quality analytics is in this book so be sure to get your copy on august 10th hi this is dr carlina orozco from the tempe police department arizona state university and my public service announcement is that correlation does not equal causation 
If you find that certain things are occurring that may be contributing to a decrease or an increase in crime, for example, that gives an opportunity to investigate it a little bit further to see if possibly there are things contributing. But it does not mean that one thing caused the decline or the increase. It just means that there's an opportunity to explore it a little bit further. Welcome back. So Dana, in the prep call, we were talking about how you got involved with Cold Case Foundation. And I find this story pretty fascinating. So I want to start there and then we'll get into some of the stuff that you've done for them. All right. Sounds good. So I think this was back in like 20, January, 2020, before the pandemic. And I was kind of looking for something to do in my off time. And I am kind of a true crime aficionado, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I, I watch all the docuseries and I listen to all the podcasts, right? So I came across one on Netflix called The Confession Killer. It's like four episodes long and it's, it's pretty fascinating. If you haven't seen it, like go watch it. And on the last episode, they were talking to the directors of the Cold Case Foundation. So Greg Cooper and Dean Jackson, they were talking to both of them on this show and I won't give any spoilers, but <laughs> essentially like it seemed pretty interesting what they were doing and the concept of the cold case foundation. And so I went online and I kind of checked them out and I like did this, you know, like cold call email to them and said like, Hey, I'm an analyst. I don't know if you have a use for me or not, but if you do, I'm interested and didn't hear anything for a good eight months. And then I randomly got an email back from their like administrative assistant that I almost deleted because I didn't, really like know who it was from so like almost deleted it but then I was like wait a minute so I clicked on it it was like hey if you're still interested we'd love to interview you you know and so I had an interview like the next week and at the end of it they were like yeah like we want you on board and I was like cool awesome so that was kind of how I got involved I'm just randomly reaching out to them and since then I've become their analyst supervisor we've got five analysts that are working with us now. And for those of you who don't know about Cold Case Foundation, I think they're kind of out there a little bit. Greg and I had actually presented at the California conference last year. But if you if you don't know about them, they are a nonprofit organization that comes alongside agencies or families that have cold cases. And we work through their cases with them. We offer case support for them. We've got forensic professionals, retired investigators, analysts, arson investigators, victimologists, victim service people. Like we've got a ton of people with CCF that come alongside agencies and just help them work through their cases to a resolution. So those cases always start with an analyst. As soon as we intake a case, we get as much information as we can from the agency. So all of their reports, any interviews that they've done, jail calls, like you name it, whatever's in their case file, they send it over to us and then it gets assigned to an analyst. And an analyst goes through the case and we put together a document that's that we call the 10 filters of profiling. So, you know, victimology, crime scene analysis, assault analysis, sexual assault, MO, criminal behavior, suspect information. We go through all of that. We break it all down and we provide a really nice document. We present it via Zoom because we're all over the United States, present it via Zoom to the agency. And then they decide at that point what what they want to do, if they want to move forward with us or if they want to take the case back and just kind of run with it at that point. So I've worked on quite a few cases with them now from 
all over the United States. I haven't worked at California one, but through from all over the United States. And so it's a really, it's a really cool program. They've kind of branched out. They've got their own podcast now. They have a training series that they're putting on themselves um, and you can become a violent crime specialist with them. So they, it has, I think there's eight or 10 different courses that you can go through with them. But yeah, it's a really cool organization and I'm really proud to be a part of it. Nice. So when you're working for them and you are gathering all the data, they have their own access to various databases and data sources because obviously you got to keep what you do with them separate from your day job, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of siloed, but I do mostly with them. I do like open source stuff because they, they don't have like the clears and, and those kind of TLO, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of digging for them, but we've partnered with GeoTime. So we've got some GeoTime licenses that we're able to use for, I map a lot of stuff for them. So I do, we do use GeoTime for that. And then any like cell phone stuff, obviously we can use GeoTime for, which is, like a blessing because GeoTime, any any software that you're going to use for that type of analysis can get expensive. And for a nonprofit, it's not really something that they can always afford to do. So it's nice to have that partnership with GeoTime to do that. But yeah, so everything else I kind of just do open source or whatever is kind of contained in those files that we get from the agencies. We do have a working relationship with them so that then if there is something, we can always go back to the investigator and say, hey, I need some more information about this. And usually they can provide it for us. Nice. Okay. So then do you have any success stories that you like to tell with this? I have one that's just more of like a, I don't know if the agency has made any arrests, but I mm-hmm. definitely our analysis of the case kind of turned it in a completely different direction for them. And it was an, an old drive-by shooting that they had. It was It's a small town. Mm-hmm. So they had a drive-by and it, it went cold. They, they had nothing. And so as I was reading through the case and looking at different things, looking at their crime scene pictures, looking at their autopsy photos and being kind of knowledgeable about gangs, I realized the victim had a tattoo that was like 100% gang related. And so I, I put that in my report and I said, you know, this is this is probably a gang related case. Like you need to look at the rival gang. I also thought that he was a, the unintended target. I think one of his friends that was with him was the actual intended target. We gave it back to the agency and it kind of blew that open for them. They had never looked at it as a gang case before. They had always just looked at it as just a random drive-by, but sitting down and looking at it and going kind of methodically through it and taking that time to to look at the pictures and like tattoos and stuff really blew it open for them to be able to take it in a different direction than, than they had before. Oh, that's interesting. And I could see that as well. It's just like, it's almost like the opposite of what you were talking about before, where you beginning your hunch was that that homicide on july 4th was gang related but turned out not to be right and then in this case it was gang wasn't even on their minds as they are analyzing this case right right so and i think that's the benefit of putting new eyes on something too even if it's in your own department having a fresh set of eyes every once in a while because you kind of put blinders on when you've looked at the same thing over and over again sometimes you don't see those little things that could break your case wide open so having a fresh set of eyes i think is always a, a positive thing okay good good deal all right well let's move on then i want to talk about your involvement with the ccia and you've been president and currently webmaster and held been pretty active with them for 
those that uh, may be unfamiliar with them, how did you get involved and, and what are some of the things you were able to accomplish while you were there, working with them? Another one of those, I got dropped into it. So California, the association is split up into different regions. So we have six mm -hmm. different regions. The region that I'm in is the Central Valley and we're pretty small. We, there's not a lot of analysts in the Central Valley. So we all just kind of in Central Valley take turns doing the different board positions. So I was, I think I started with secretary with Central Valley and then I did president. And then after that, they were like, Hey, you should be on the state board. So here <laughs> I am on the state board now. And so that that's kind of how I got my start there. So I California's board just kind of rotates positions. Like we're not really elected. We all just kind of rotate through okay. president, vice president, secretary. So I came in after Amy Varela was president. I took over president after her. And so for me, the biggest thing that I've been able to accomplish, or I feel like our board during that year was able to accomplish was during the pandemic, getting a webinar series or a webinar program started for our members, which we hadn't done before. We were in 2020 and our conference got canceled because, you know, nobody could gather all the COVID things. And I'm like, we need, we need to offer our members something. We need to have a way to get them some training since we're not having it. And so getting that off the ground was kind of my, my big accomplishment that year. And so now we've, I think we're in our second year of doing the webinars. And our first one was with Lori Velarde and it was well attended. And um, she's always super knowledgeable when you, if you have a chance, go, go see her teach because you'll get something out of it every single time. But so, yeah, so Lori's was our first one and, and we've just kind of been going from there and been able to offer some really good topics for our members. And we've opened them up. I throw them on the IACA forums. So everybody throughout the U.S. can can jump on there and see them, too. We try to record them all. Our last one we had last week was with Matt Harris and he did a second round of sequel for us, which is <laughs> super well attended. Matt's very knowledgeable with sequel. So, yeah, just having those and then. Now we've built kind of a, a bank of webinars that people can go back and access if they need to or they want to rewatch them or anything like that. So that's been really cool for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually smiling and pretty proud of myself here because all those people that you just rattled off, I've had on the show. Nice. <laughs> so. <laughs> So let's get into some maybe advice that you have for analysts. I know there was, uh, you've kind of sprinkled it in, but, uh, you know, in terms of uh, either new or experienced analyst, is what advice do you have for the audience? Be humble and be teachable. There's always something to learn. You can always learn something from somebody, whether it's a brand new analyst that you're learning something from or somebody, a veteran. Just be teachable, be willing to open yourself up to some new knowledge. Don't get too comfortable because things are always changing and evolving. And if you don't continue with it, you're kind of going to get stuck in the past. All right. Good deal. We're going to take some calls now. We're going to play Don't Be That Analyst. First up is Doug. Doug, what is your Don't Be That Analyst? Don't be that analyst that forgets their target audience. That's a short and sweet one. I, I think I've been guilty of that. I, I, I've known as I'm presenting to my audience, I, I have a tendency to maybe get caught in the weeds, make it a little bit too technical. So I know when I present and then when I talk, I try to anticipate questions and explain them even before they're asked. And that can definitely lead me down the road of getting too 
much into the weeds. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. I have probably also been that analyst at some point, but yeah, definitely know your audience. Don't get too into the weeds if you're just talking to the patrol officer who just needs to know where he needs to go. He doesn't want all the technical stuff, right? Yeah. All right. Next on the line is Joe. Joe, what's your don't be that analyst? Hi, Jason. A uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. My don't be an analyst would be don't be the analyst that surprises your colleagues with something new in your report or presentation that is going to make more work for everybody else. Don't add a new map or something, or don't give give the heads up. Let the other analysts know ahead of time that you're doing something a little bit new, and this is what it is. And even let them know how you did it, so that you can, so that it's not as uh, it's not as daunting to the to your colleagues when they're told that they have to do it by their supervisor. Hmm. I will say that I am this analyst, but I am this analyst to myself because there's nobody else in my unit. So if I come up with something new and it's going to create more work, it's creating more work for me at the end of the day. So yeah. I'm lucky that I, I don't have to, I'm not throwing anyone else under the bus there. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's you're kind of an only child in that respect, but I certainly as analysts get more into Comstat models or they're split up and divided and you're in meetings and you have a different analyst taking a piece of the pie during a meeting. You certainly can put stuff in there. And it's funny, sometimes it seems like they want them all to be boilerplate and all have the same look and feel, but then other times they don't always fit that way. So, you know, if you're broken up by district, you know, you're always going to have one district that has way more crime than the others so certainly he's talking from personal experiences where he got like oh why can't you do that joe i'm sure when <laughs> when he got back to his uh, office all right next on the line is meredith meredith what's your don't be that analyst hi my name is meredith i'm with the memphis police department and my don't be that analyst is don't think that you need to know everything about the job within the first year of starting you know, there's always time to learn and everyone starts somewhere. Yeah, I think it, it's funny. And this might be with any profession. I think when you first start as an analyst, it seems like you sign up for everything. You get online, you might read books, you might sign up for listservs, look at on forums. You're just trying to gather as much data as possible to improve your current position. And I think when you first start, you're starting from the ground up. So you, you really struggle with what direction to go into. And it's trying to climb as fast as you can. And it can really be exciting and daunting all at the same time in that first year. And I think on this show, it's been fascinating. One of the, obviously, one of the first questions I ask people is how they discovered the law enforcement analysis profession. And then thinking back like some of the obstacles that they were going through when they first started and how a different perspective they have now from when they first started. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, look at me. I started with pin maps. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, I didn't know everything that first year and I wasn't expected to. And I think that's time goes on too. you figure out what your agency wants, where analysis fits in with that agency. And it's going to be different everywhere. So you definitely don't need to know everything but you find your niche, right? Exactly. All right. Next on the line is Bruce. Bruce, what is your don't be that analyst? Don't be that analyst who overthinks every single task that you get. 
Sometimes the simplest solution turns out to be the correct one. We were looking for a subject who had multiple credit card abuse warrants, and I was checking his girlfriends and the mother of his children and his relatives to see who might have utilities at a place where he could potentially be living. But it turned out the utilities had been under his own name all along. We were able to find his address and take him into custody on his warrants. Don't be that analyst who overcomplicates everything. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best. Yeah, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about. You know, first year analysts putting a lot of pressure on themselves, wanting to climb as fast as you can, and maybe overthinks their position. And certainly in in here, he's checking all the associates, but he's not running the target. It'll happen. I've definitely been there. But yeah, keep it simple, right? Yeah. All right. And then finally, last on the line is Josie. Josie, what is your don't be that analyst? Mine don't be that analyst moment is not being afraid to ask upper command and admin staff to clarify their requests that they're asking for me. I think, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you don't clarify it, how do you know that you're giving them what they want? If you're confused about their request, you can end up giving them something that they weren't looking for and you've wasted your time and theirs. So if you have a question, if you need clarification, absolutely ask. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because there was two different people that she mentioned there. It was like executives and then it was admin staff. That was, it was pretty specific there. And so to me, like the admin staff, obviously open communication there, but given your situation and how they want the chain of command of communication to go at your police department, it it may or may not look good if you're going straight up to an executive. That's the only thing I, I would add to that is if there is an established chain of command there that you be leery of that, use it sparingly when you need to maybe go over somebody's head, so to speak, but just be aware of that scenario at at any office. I would agree with that, except if they're asking you directly, like if my chief came and asked me directly for something, I wouldn't have a problem going directly back to him. But if if the request came through my sergeant, I'd probably run it back up the chain the same way. Yeah. So, and then I would say add to that is like anytime your managers or those that you report to are not included on an email, make sure when you hit reply all you that you add them because I, I I get busted for not doing that all the time at work. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, would agree. I just hit reply and then hey, I didn't even think about whether you were on there or not. I just assumed you were and you know what happens when you assume. So, all right. So that's Don't Be That Analyst. If you have a Don't Be That Analyst, email us at leapodcasts at gmail.com. All right. So let's finish up with personal interests. I think, Dana, you have a fascinating set of personal interests. National parks. So how did you get interested in national parks? So where I live, I'm kind of blessed in that California has a ton of national parks. We'll start there. We have a ton. I have three within an hour's time drive from me. So I have Sequoia and Kings Canyon, which my family has, we're lucky enough to have a cabin at. And then just another kind of interesting tidbit, my husband owns and runs a towing company. So they're AAA contracted and they tow in the national park. So while we were dating, we spent a lot of time there. I would go on <laughs> tow. I essentially, would go on a ride along with him. You went to park. Be honest. <laughs> 
So yes, the the parks are up there. Then so that's kind of I mean it's that's our home I guess a little bit home away from home. And then Yosemite is really close to us too. And so we've kind of made I mean my kids have grown up in this park, and so now we've kind of decided as a family like hey this is something that we want to do. Eventually my husband wants to get an airstream and kind of go around at least the California ones and and camp in the parks and stuff. So we went to Joshua Tree earlier this summer before it was too hot. So we've got, I think we've now checked off like four of the California parks, but I do want to tell you about, and I hope Jason that you have gone to this one being in Baltimore, but when I, I, we had gone on vacation back there a few years ago. So we visited Fort McHenry Mm -hmm. and I think that should be on everybody's bucket list. Like every American needs to go to Fort McHenry and you need to sit there and watch their, um, in the visitor center, they have like a, a video basically about the park. Go and sit and watch that because for me, no spoilers, but for me, it was like the most moving national park video that I have ever watched. And it was amazing, like watching everybody that was there watching it with us. The end was the most amazing moving thing that I've ever seen. And so like no spoilers, but Jason, if you haven't gone, you need to go like today. <laughs> yeah, I have been there. So, yes, and I agree. And I would also suggest afterwards going to Varcaro's in Little Italy in Baltimore for gelato after you're done. So, I well, next time I go, I will I will have to try that out. I'm actually flying back there at the end of the month. I was lucky enough to get into the cast training in Quantico. So, nice. I'm coming back at the end of the month, but maybe I can finagle a trip up there. Yeah. So, good deal. So, do you have a a targeted park next that you going to visit? So I really want to visit the Redwoods National Park in California, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately we have like massive wildfires. That one's really far from us. So we're trying to pick things that maybe haven't been destroyed by a wildfire (laughs) recently. It was really cute. I got my daughter a, like one of those little passport, national park passport books, like the kid version of it. She's seven. And I told her, go through the book and figure out which one you want to go to. She picks Alaska (laughs) of all of the parks. She picks Alaska. I'm like, well, Mom and Dad will have to try and figure that one out. So I guess Alaska is now the the next oh, one for man. us to check well, off. Well, you'll be spending you'll be spending a decade up there going to discovering that whole area. Yeah, exactly. So, and then also personal interest. Obviously, you're into true crime, which isn't a surprise <laughs> given what you've told me here today. If somebody is looking to either watch a true crime documentary or movie is there like your go-to list of maybe one or two three that you normally tell people oh my gosh no so i would say for me like if you could have a favorite serial killer that sounds so terrible but like (laughs) if you could have a favorite serial killer right so my favorite serial killer would be the green river killer because i've been washington Mm-hmm. Gary Ridgway, he would be like my favorite serial killer, like the one that I'm probably the most knowledgeable about. If, like you want to be an expert in serial killers, I guess, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so Gary Ridgway, Green River Killer, anything you can watch on him, I think is for me anyways, was just super fascinating. Podcast wise, I, I have not seen any documentaries or anything on this one, but Israel Keys, and he's kind of more contemporary serial killer. He was working probably within the last 10 years. So there's a podcast on him called 
I'm going to swear. So it's okay. Pardon me. Cause it's in, it's actually in the podcast title, but true crime bullshit. His entire first season is on Israel keys and it's very well researched. And he is absolutely fascinating. If you've never heard of Israel keys, he basically would travel all over the United States and he would have like kill kits buried in different places. And he would commit all these murders around the United States. Um, so he's definitely a really fascinating person to kind of look at if that's what you're interested in. Yeah. No, the, the Green River, that is fascinating because he was a suspect it, like when it first was on, right? This this goes back to like the 70s, right? Yeah, and they I kind of kind of ruled him out a little bit-ish. But what I also really liked, not liked about it, I don't know, the way I'm describing it is really <laughs> strange. But what I appreciated maybe was that the original detective that had started working on those cases actually became the the sheriff of King County. And so he got resolution on those cases while he was still sheriff, which I think is really cool because a lot of times that doesn't happen for people. You know, they have yeah. these cases, these serial killers or even just cold cases. There's cases that stick with you. And a lot of detectives or maybe analysts too retire before there's resolution to those cases. And so for him, I thought it was really neat that he was able, he started that case and then he was able to like put cuffs on the guy years later, which I'm sure it was a very proud moment for him. Yeah. And and watching interviews with him is really interesting too because he he speaks about it and how it, it affected his life and so anyways yeah it's just a kind of an interesting case. Very good. All right. Well, our last segment to the show is words to the world and this is where I give the guests the last word. Dana, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Be a team player always. Be a team player, be a part of the team that is able to accomplish something because at the end of the day, we're all here for the same goals and it's easier to accomplish something as a team than by yourself. Very good. Why well, leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. What? <laughs> but I do appreciate <laughs> you being on the show, Dana. Thank you so much and you be safe. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.